0: You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Howard Dory, And I'm Jess Dory, his wife. And we are the hosts of Plotting Through the Presidents. A podcast that takes deep, irreverent dives into lesser-known stories about the early presidents, founders, and their families. We explore myths, mysteries, scandals, and the wild personalities and intense relationships that help make America what it is today. We dig into things like why John Adams and Alexander Hamilton hated each other so much. The truth behind the legend that reporter Anne Royale ambushed John Quincy Adams for an interview while he was skinny dipping. And the story of how Thomas Jefferson's obsession with making the finest wool in the world. Led to a tragic death on the White House lawn, and there are so many more where that came from. Our listeners call our podcast well-researched, laugh-out-loud funny, insightful, and delightful. And our listeners are so astute; they're so smart. We've got three bingeable seasons out now. Follow plotting through the presidents now on all your podcast machines, and find out more at PlodPod.com.
1: Hi, I'm Johanna from Austria, and you are listening to your favorite international podcast. You just heard the promo for a great podcast called Plodding Through the Presidents, hosted by Jessica and Howard, and I can assure you 100% if you like our historical episodes, like for example the Habsburg Tragedies or the Henry Rathbone one, you will absolutely, absolutely love Plodding Through the Presidents. So please go onto your podcast app and give them a listen. If you are a regular listener, you will already have realized that something is missing here and it's the lovely voice of our even more lovely Annie. She already mentioned in our last episode that she was getting ready for a scheduled surgery. Everything went well so far and she's on the road to recovery. So let's all send her, you know, all the good healing vibes Now, of course, as we already knew that this surgery was coming up, we could have planned ahead and record some episodes in advance. But let's be real here, we tried, but it was just not possible. Some of you might not be aware how much work goes into each and every one of our episodes, mostly because of going, you know, through all the resources, reading books, writing up notes, and then find the time to record that works for both of us, as we have, you know, the time difference of six hours, and then the editing... This is not a woo-is-us kind of rant because we love to do this podcast and our wonderful community keeps us going every week. I just want to explain why we are more of the last-minute kind of people. (laughs) But we also didn't want to have you without an episode for one or two weeks and both Annie and I already did episodes on our own if it was necessary. So for this week and maybe next week we will see, it will be just me. The last two episodes, you know, the ones about the wine wheel, chicken coop murders, not gonna lie, they were tough ones. Uh, Such a cruel, horrible, terrifying case. So this week I opted for something less heartbreaking. A lot less heartbreaking, trust me. It's macabre and weird. It has a bit of what the fuck, but nobody gets hurt or even dies. I mean, I put a pin in there and say maybe. But you you know when we get there. This week I want to tell you about the Kentucky Meat Shower. Which does sound like it has either something to do with Pointer sister's song or the Colonel and his fried chicken. But no, it's actually something that happened in a rural area in Kentucky. I don't think there are any warnings for this episode. Unless you don't like to hear of or think about meat, that is. This all happened in 1876 in Bath County, Kentucky. Now, let me give you a quick overview of Bath County, especially in the late 19th century. Let's paint a picture. Bath County lies in the northeast of Kentucky, 50 miles east of Lexington, which I think is one of the biggest cities in Kentucky. It's definitely not the biggest city, because that would be Louisville. You see, Annie is not here today to correct me on all the, the English. See the names, so bear with me, please. Whenever I start one of these episodes from places I have never been to or don't know too much about, I usually start by Googling. Like in this case, I typed into Google, What is Kentucky famous for? And the answers were horse racing, of course, because of the Kentucky Derby, bourbon, also, of course, I know that because my husband collects whiskeys and bourbons uh, and my dad often gave him whiskeys for his birthday or for Christmas. And one year he got a bottle of Blanton's. I think that's how it's called. And on top of the bottle is this little race horse and a jockey, So it's basically combining the first two things Kentucky is famous for. There you go. The next thing is moonshine, and I've never been to Kentucky, but I've been to uh, Pigeon Forge and Gatlingburg in Tennessee, so I know moonshine. And I guess what people around the world think of when they hear Kentucky is a certain fried chicken, thus circling back to the meat shower, right? Kentucky is one of the smaller states in the US. It's the 37th biggest state out of 50, and the first European settlers arrived there in the early 1770s. Of course, there were people living there for centuries or more like millennia. And the history of Kentucky or the area nowadays known as Kentucky is way, way older, thousands of years older. But we don't have the time to go that much back in time. Uh, But there are so many books on the history of Kentucky out there. If you want to know more, there's actually great books on the history of all of the US states out there. If we talk about population density, nowadays Kentucky lies somewhere in the middle of all the 50 states ranked. It definitely has a lot of more rural areas and Bath County is one of them. And as the name already suggests, Bath County is called that because there are natural springs in the area that have some healing properties. And that's because of the minerals in the salts. And these minerals were also responsible for another thing. The natives, as well as the settlers, found that in the area there was a lot of game and other animals they could hunt for food. These animals were drawn to Bath County exactly because of the minerals in the soil. They would gather around the so-called licks. Now, what's a lick? From bathcounty.ky.gov, quote, A lick is where a mineral originates from the ground and saturates the soil or collects as deposits. Animals graved this mineral and would eventually herd to these places within the area of salt lick. It was once stated a couple of hunters had seen a herd of approximately 500 buffalo at a lick. With more settlers to move into the area, the animals began to move out as goes the cycle of civilization." End quote. So, as one can guess, people started to build quite a few sanatoriums and health facilities, and especially patients with tuberculosis and other lung diseases were sent to Bath County to be treated and to recover, or hopefully recover. Alright, now we are jumping to the 3rd of March 1876 in Olympia Springs, Kentucky, from kyatlas.com. Olympian Springs was a resort and spa in southern Bath County, located about 7 miles southeast of Owingsville on KY 36. The site was originally known as Mud Lick Springs and the mineral springs attracted development before the beginning of the 19th century. It was named Olympian Springs around 1800 by Thomas Hart for a nearby hill called Mount Olympus. Through the years, it had a succession of owners who constructed cabins and hotels on the site. Kentucky's first stagecoach line in 1803 ran from Lexington to Olympian Springs. The resort closed in the early part of the 20th century. Modern maps often refer to the site as Olympia Springs, and it is locally known as Mudlik." All right, so, 3rd of March, 1876. It was before noon, so sometime between 11 and 12. A farmer's wife named Mrs. Crouch was sitting on her porch making soap. And for whatever reason, she walked off the porch approximately 40 steps from the house. When all of a sudden, something started to fall from the sky. Let's see. During the centuries, very weird things had fallen from the sky. So far, people have reported that it had been raining frogs. And no, I'm not talking in the biblical way. But that actually happened in 2005 in Croatia. In 2009, tadpoles rained down in Japan and golf balls in Florida in 1969. And blood. Several times that did happen already, but I have to admit, not actually blood, just substances that looked an awful lot like blood. But that March day in 1876 in Olympia Spring, it was a very, very beautiful March day, No rain, no clouds, clear blue sky. Something else was falling from the sky. So Mrs. Crouch, roughly 40 steps from her house, when all of a sudden pieces of raw meat came raining down on her. The pieces were red meat. Most of them were five by five centimeters. So that's two by two inches. And some were even double the size. So 10 by 10 centimeters or four by four inches. I'd call that more or less goulash sized, uh, at least the five by five ones. The area hit by the meat shower was roughly 90 by 45 meters, so 100 by 50 yards. Say it was not that big of an area that was affected. And the meat shower stopped as abruptly as it had started. And Mrs. Crouch was a God-fearing woman, so was her husband, Mr. Ellen Crouch. And of course, if you are a religious or whatever kind of spiritual person, you just know that raw red meat falling from the sky is one thing for sure not good. It's bad. It's a bad omen. And he was quoted, the meat, which looked like beef, fell all around her. The sky was perfectly clear at the time and she said it fell like large snowflakes. End quote. To be honest, this kind of surprised me. When I think of medium-sized chunks of meat raining down, I don't think of snowflakes because, you know, snowflakes glide through the air, of course, because of their shape and because they are super, super lightweight. But goulash doesn't. Elegantly dance through the air before it gently touches the ground. I can almost hear the plutch, plutch, plutch sound it must have made, and I'm sure some of you can as well. The meat rain lasted for several minutes, which can be an incredibly long time if you're staring up in the sky and wait for this to stop, whatever this is. But Mr. and Mrs. Crouch were not the only ones who saw the meat falling down, there were other witnesses and uh now the speculation started first of all what kind of meat was it was it lamb was it deer was it bear was it horse according to mr grouch it looked like beef and one brave soul apparently tasted a bit and came to the conclusion that it tasted like beef when i read that i was thinking did he just lick it or took a bite off right there and then Or did he take it home to cook it? I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm a rather rare than medium kind of steak person, you know, just let the flame quickly kiss the meat and I'm good to go. But the thought of licking, or worse, eating some kind of mystery meat that fell from the sky, it's a bit troubling, not gonna lie. And I'm actually not sure if cooking it would make a difference here. Okay, so the next day, two more men showed up, tasted the now dried up meat. You know, I picture them scraping it off the the path and the, the fence. And they concluded that it was venison. Or was it maybe mutton? So, okay, some thought it might have been beef or venison or mutton. What else do we know? The meat appeared to be rather fresh. So I take it that it didn't look rotten or smelled horribly. And we also know that this event made national headlines pretty quickly because only one week later news had traveled to New York because the New York Times published an article in their newspaper issue from 10th of March, 1876, titled Flesh Descending in a Shower. I also think that's when the whole Kentucky meat shower term came to be. Quote an astounding phenomenon in Kentucky. Fresh meat like mutton or venison falling from a clear sky. Louisville, March 9th, the Bath County, Kentucky. News of this date says, quote, On last Friday, a shower of meat fell near the house of Ellen Crouch, who lives some two or three miles from the Olympian Springs in the southern portion of the county, covering a strip of ground about 100 yards in length and 50 wide. Mrs. Crouch was out in the yard at the time engaged in making soap when meat, which looked like beef, began to fall around her. The sky was perfectly clear at the time and she said it fell like large snowflakes, the pieces as a general thing not being much larger. One piece fell near her, which was three or four inches square. Mr. Harrison Chill, whose veracity is unquestionable and from whom we obtained the above fact, hearing of the occurrence, visited the locality... The next day, and says he saw particles of meat sticking to the fences and scattered over the ground. And scattered over the ground. The meat, when it first fell, appeared to be perfectly fresh. A correspondent of the Louisville commercial, writing from Mount Sterling, corroborates the above and says the pieces of flesh were of various sizes and shapes, some of them being two inches square. Two gentlemen, who tasted the meat, expressed the opinion that it was either mutton or venison. End quote. So there you have it, there's the proof, they did try it. I think this is a great moment to take a quick break for a word by our sponsor, Best Fiends. I told you all about the renovation of our house, and let me tell you, it can be nerve-wracking. But whenever I have 15 minutes to spare, I make myself a nice cup of coffee and I sit down for a few rounds of my favorite mobile puzzle game. It instantly calms me down, it's fun. It's challenging, but never frustrating, and the 7000 levels keep you entertained for quite a while. I love that you can not only rely on your good luck, but you can also be strategic by deciding which one of your bugs you are going to train for the next level. The characters are so cute, I really enjoy the designs, not only of the bugs, but also of the levels, and Best Fiends offers regular seasonal events and constantly adds new levels. This way, the fun never stops. Trust me, you definitely have to give this game a try. You will love it. And once you do, come and add other Hellions as in-game friends. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Alright, so some pieces of the meat were placed in jars filled with formaldehyde, and these specimens were sent to experts around the land. And one of those experts who received one of those jars to find out the nature of the mystery meat was named Leopold Brandeis. And you know how we do things around here, I really tried to find out more about Leopold Brandeis, and I was hoping to find, you know, articles that would tell me a lot of interesting background info on this person, but I came up empty-handed. Sorry, but let's assume that he was this very smart science dude who had an awesome life full of adventure. Kind of a science Indiana Jones, right? So, he received a sample of the meat, and he came to the following conclusion. Quote, It has been comparatively easy to identify the substance and to fix its status. The Kentucky, quote-unquote, wonder is no more or less than Nostoc. End quote. And as always, when there is something rather complicated or complex to explain, like... Nostoc, I like to head over to Wikipedia to read to you a short and very on-point description. So, here it goes, quote, Nostoc is a genus of cyanobacteria found in various environments that form colonies composed of filaments of moniliform cells in a gelatinous sheath. Nostoc can be found in soil on most rocks, at the bottom of lakes and springs, both fresh and salt water, and rarely in marine habitats. It may also grow symbiotically within the tissues of plants, providing nitrogen to its hosts through the actions of terminally differentiated cells known as heterocysts. These bacteria contain photosynthetic pigments in their cytoplasm to perform photosynthesis. Many it is on the ground, a Nostock colony is ordinarily not seen, but after a rain, it swells up into a conspicuous jelly-like mass which was once thought to have fallen from the sky, hence the popular names Star Jelly, Troll's Butter, Witch's Butter, not to be confused with the fungus, and Witch's Jelly, end quote. And to be honest, I only know the fungi, Witch's Butter, but never heard of Nostok before, or maybe I have, and uh, we just call it completely different. But hey, we're all here to learn, and we love to. So Brandai stated that this kind of nostoc, the nostoc cranium, was flesh-colored and tasted like chicken or frog, depending on who you ask. Now, I wonder, in all those science groups, you know, people who discovered things and examined them for the very first time, there was always that one poor guy who had to taste it right. Like, there must have been. Do you think they drew straws? Or how did they decide? Or was there like one who was always like, yeah, I'm gonna try it. How did that work? Now, Leopold Brandeis explained that the rain had caused the Nostok to swell up and then float down to the ground again, looking like pieces of meat raining down. But there's one problem. The Crouches had said that it was a clear day and that it hadn't been raining the previous night neither. So what rain exactly? There was no rain. Nothing that could have caused the Nostok to balloon up that much. So this leads to the question are there any other possible explanations? The answer is, yes, there are. There are actually a bunch of other explanations, because Brandeis was not the only expert who had received a piece of this weird Kentucky meat. Some of the explanations were really kind of out there, and actually a bit macabre. So there was one Dr. A. Mead Edwards, who was sure that this was definitely lung tissue, He just couldn't say for certain if it was from a horse, which is already a troubling thought, but uh, it gets a little bit worse because he said it could also be lung tissue from a human baby. Another histologist, Dr. J.W.S. Arnold, agreed that this specimen contained at least a little bit of lung tissue, but not human lung tissue, but lung tissue from an animal and other pieces of animal meat, mostly muscle tissue. And those two were not the only ones. There were a couple of experts who all agreed that this was meat from an animal. But if these were indeed parts of animal, how did it get to the point where it was raining down on the good people of Olympian Springs? So there's one theory by a man named William Livingston Olden, who suggested that the meat shower was caused by a meteor passing by. Not a regular meteor, but one made of flesh, I guess and that bits and parts fell off while it was, you know, passing by. Of course, that doesn't make sense, right? Well, I think it is important to know that William Livingston Olden was an American journalist, author, mostly of fiction, and humorist. Wikipedia also mentions that he was a canoe enthusiast, so that's the exact wording, and I'm living for it. So I'd say that his proposition was a bit tongue-in-cheek, right? But honestly, there were scientists who thought, and I love that one, that the meat shower was caused by the explosion of an alien planet and that the meat, therefore, must be the former inhabitants of this planet. Uh, Another theory stated that it was actually a murder victim killed by two brothers and that this was their way of getting rid of the body. But I don't know. I think that's very impractical. How would they even do that? So I think this theory is a no. No, no, no. Then there was a scientist, a professor J. Lawrence Smith, who wrote the following letter to the Louisville Journal. Quote, in my first examination of this anomalous substance, I was furnished with two small specimens that had been in alcohol. One of them was so hard and dry that I did not undertake to examine it. The other being soft, I cut it across and finding the interior of the mass gelatinous. I could see no other source of this gelatinous matter than the spawn of patrachian reptiles i sent what i had left to professor putnam of salem to be examined in his institution but i have not yet heard from him his results since then two other specimens have been furnished to me one of which had been examined by a distinguished microscopist of lexington mr a t parker from whom i received also some specimens carefully mounted for examination I have examined both the specimens and the preparation, and am perfectly satisfied that they contain muscular fiber and therefore cannot be, as I first supposed, reptilian spawn. The matter appears to be mixed. Some of it is muscular, some cartilaginous, others gelatinous and fatty. I intended examining further into the matter when, in a conversation with Dr. Kastenbein of the city, I learned that he had examined a specimen with similar results that he had no doubt of the fleshy nature of the substance. Considering the results obtained by two such careful and skillful microscopists as Dr. Kastenbein and Mr. Parker, conclusive, I am perfectly satisfied that my original theory of its being Petrachian spawn must be abandoned. This, of course, is calculated to open the whole question again, and there is no reason why this subject should not seek for a solution through the infallible agency of the public press. Professor Robert Peter of Lexington, through whom I obtained Mr. Parker's specimen, thinks that the fall of flesh was simply the result of a kind of post-brandial, disgorging by a flock of buzzards who had been feasting themselves more abundantly than wisely on the carcass of a sheep. I am informed that it is not uncommon for buzzards thus to disgorge their overcharged stomachs and that when in flock one commences this relief operation to others are excited to nausea and a general shower of half-digested meat takes place. Who knows, but this is the truth of the whole affair. End quote. So basically, a flock of buzzards who had feasted on a sheep beforehand probably ate too much and threw up midair. And I think this is where we probably get a lot closer to the truth. Because while the thought of birds throwing up in the air because they ate too much might sound comical to some, it's actually not uncommon at all. And this is definitely the theory that is believed to be most likely the truth. Even though to this day, Nobody really knows for certain what happened there. But a flock of vultures regurgitated their food in flight, most likely because they got startled somehow and they wanted to get rid of the content of their stomachs because the weight was slowing them down also. And now it gets really fascinating. They also do this as a defense mechanism to ward off attackers. Honestly, I don't know what kind of natural enemies vultures have up there in the air. Guess depends on the size of the vulture. Maybe a hawk down on the ground. Wolves, coyotes, something like this. Anyway, so what they do? They use their (laughs) really something. They do use their projectile vomit strategy to be able to escape quickly and to fight off predators. And if they manage to hit their attacker's eyes, the meat stomach acid mix can be blinding. Isn't that fascinating? I never heard of that. Did you? And there are so many different kinds of vultures, so we need to know which one is native to Kentucky. And apparently, that's the turkey vulture and the black vulture. The black vulture being the less common one, though. The turkey vulture is black with a bold red or pinkish head, and they are 2.5 feet, so that's somewhere around 75 centimeters tall, and weigh around 3 pounds or 1.5 kilos. That's a good-sized raptor. It's not the biggest one, but it's a good medium-sized raptor. The black vulture is completely black, as the name already suggests, and is about the same size as the turkey vulture. And then I read something that absolutely blew my mind. I had no idea. Because all of my life I always thought that vultures would only feast on things that are already dead, right? You know, like in these cliche movie scenes or something like this where someone is lost in a desert and the vultures are circling above their head already, waiting for them to die so they can feast on the carcass. But there are instances when they do attack smaller animals to eat them. Smaller animals. Or human infants. There was actually an incident in the United Kingdom in 2014, where a family went to a safari zoo and they had a six-month-old baby with them in a pram. You know, they are strolling around with the baby in the pram through this safari zoo. And all of a sudden, the baby got attacked by a black vulture. The baby survived. But of course, the whole thing was absolutely traumatizing for the family. So these things did definitely happen. And that makes me circle back to, you know, the one expert who wasn't sure, you know, was it, was it a piece of lung from a, a cow or a human infant, right? And then if this was really caused by vultures, it now makes absolute sense that there were different kinds of meat in there. Because if this was a flock of vultures, and it definitely must have been quite a big number of birds, because, you know, they made it rain for several minutes, so there must have been a bigger number of birds, they would probably have different things in their stomach, right? I remember I was in Cuba once and I took a bus to Havana And on the way I saw huge vultures soaring through the sky and I got so excited because I had never seen any vulture in real life, even though the griffin vulture is native to central Europe, but it was very, very rare when I grew up and I just read today that nowadays apparently they are more common again, which makes me happy because they are really fascinating creatures and they play a very important part in the ecosystem. And now that I know that they use projectile warmed to blind attackers, I find it even better. So, as I said, until today, people are not certain what caused the Kentucky meat shower. But there are a couple of things I would like to tell you. Uh First of all, only nine days after the Kentucky meat shower, so on 12th of March 1876, something very similar happened in London. Red meat was raining down. And I'm sure that people who believed in Omen and actually knew of both incidents were out of their minds. That can't be good, right? And then the last thing I found, and I really need to tell you this one because it's so great. So I found this article on Atlas Obscura that says, quote, The artist trying to explain Kentucky's meat shower of 1876. And it's just an excerpt. It's not the whole article, but of course, I'll link to it in the sources to this episode. A historical head-scratcher inspired the world's worst jelly bean flavor. And the article is by Marina Wang, February 7th, 2020. Quote, Every October, around 200,000 people gather in Kentucky for court days, the largest outdoor event in the state. Ever since 1794, locals have bought, traded or sold various goods at the festival held in the city of Mount Sterling. But in one of the strangest offerings in Court Day's history, Kurt Gohde, professor, I hope I pronounced it correctly, it's G-O-H-D-A, professor of art at Transylvania University, handed out meat-flavored jelly beans in 2007 to anyone who would eat them. Some people said the flavor of the dark red jelly beans reminded them of raw bacon. Another pair agreed with each other that they tasted like, quote, strawberry pork chop, end quote. Godey, who commissioned the jelly beans with their specific flavor profile, describes them as tasting like, quote, a heavily sugared bacon with a metal aftertaste, end quote. The jelly beans were flavored like the 1876 Meat Shower, a mysterious event where chunks of flesh rained down over nearby Olympia Springs one early March day. Godey had hoped that meat connoisseurs at court days might help him determine the true identity of the mysterious substance. Fascinated with the meat shower to begin with, a serendipitous find in 2004 stoked his ardor even further. He was clearing out storage closets at Transylvania University when he stumbled upon an old glass jar sealed with a cork stopper. It contained a chunk of white, fatty-looking meat suspended in a pale yellow liquid. The label was faded, but the words Olympia Springs could still be made out. Godi was thrilled. Determined to try and pinpoint what mysterious animal rained down over Olympia Springs, Godi worked with a colleague in the biology department to have the sample genetically tested. Unfortunately, the sample was too old and contaminated to give any conclusive results. Then Godi got creative. Much of his artwork involves community engagement, so he had a taste lab based in Cincinnati analyze flavor compounds of the meat sample and reconstruct the taste in a jelly bean. Godi wanted to educate local Kentuckians about a curious climatic event and, if anything, jelly beans would be a great conversation starter. Quote, I was fascinated with the idea that people would just eat it and then declare what it tasted like, end quote, he says. Gordy drove to Cincinnati and picked up more than a thousand of the meat-shower jelly beans, packed in small metal tins. Gordy waited till he got home to try them. Parked in his driveway, he popped one in his mouth. Quote, the taste, frankly, is vile, end quote, Goldie says with a chuckle. I remember thinking it was really strong. The first one I ate tasted like chemicals and sugar, end quote. Accounts from 1876 described the meat shower as tasting like mutton, although Goldie thinks the jelly beans lack the distinct muttony flavor. He thought the Kentucky court days would be a good place to talk to locals and gather opinions on what the meat could be. Feedback varied, but ultimately Gody didn't arrive at a definitive consensus. End quote. So it's basically birdie Bot's beans of all flavors in real life. And I love it. I had to tell you about that. So yeah, that's it. That's the Kentucky meat shower. I don't know, I can't wait to hear what all your opinion is of what happened back then. I think the, Welch's throwing up mid-air, is the one that makes most sense, in my opinion. And that's it. And for my something good... Well, first of all, my something good is that Annie's surgery went well, and that she's gonna be back home soon enough, and that she's gonna be, hopefully, on the road to recovery, and that, hopefully... She's going to be back with us very soon. And the other good thing I have is the Beatles. So I'm a huge Beach Boys fan. I think I mentioned it so many times before. But before that, when I was a teenager, when I was a teenager, I, I barely listened to, uh, you know, music that was popular back then in the 90s. I listened to 60s music mostly. And I laughed, loved, laughed loved the Beatles like... Love them. I knew all, every every single word to the lyrics, I knew it by heart. And I still play a, a lot of Beatles, and I listen to a lot of Beatles, but not as much nowadays than when I was a teenager. But I've been listening to them for the last couple of days, and man, it brings back so many memories from when I was a teenager. And now I sound like somebody who was a teenager in 1965. You know, this how music takes you back immediately to a to a moment in your life. And it's just, I enjoyed it so much, really. And that's my something good for today. Now, if you liked this episode, maybe you didn't like it as much because it was just me and that's fine. So please go and listen to our other episodes where it's Annie and me. Maybe you enjoyed those more and we already have 134 other episodes for you out there. But if you liked it or if you like the other episodes, please, please do us a favor. Take a minute or two, go to your podcast app that you use and check if you can leave us a rating or review because that helps us out so much and we really love to read your absolutely kind and wonderful words. If you want to know more about our podcast, uh, about how to get in contact with us, you know, our email address is freshhelpodcast at gmail.com. We have a P.O. box, we have a merch store, we have links to our Instagram, to our Facebook group, which is honestly, uh, I'm not lying, the best group on Facebook. Uh, go to our webpage, www.freshhellpodcast.com. There you'll find all the links to all of the things I just told you, also to our Patreon. Which we're gonna mix up a little bit starting in January with a what do you think happened episode uh, every month. We have game nights for our murder tier patrons and so on. There is there is a lot of stuff and we're gonna add more constantly. What else? Tell your pets we said hi. Even the ones who throw up once in a while, like Leela Jam does that when he has like stomach acid like reflux, uh, which happens sometimes. I don't know, are there people out there who have vultures as pets? I don't think so, but hey, you never know. We have one member who has a wallaby as a pet. Hug them, cuddle them, keep them warm, because in many places in this hemisphere, it's getting really, really cold. Like here, it's like cold, not freezing yet, but I don't like it. I like to bundle up at home and I can't wait for us to get our fireplace. Also, please give your fellow human being the benefit of the doubt. I know people sometimes suck so much and times are rough and everybody is so tense and stressed. But, you know, not everybody who seems to be a jerk really is one. Sometimes they just had a rough day. And even if they aren't, don't take that anger home with you. Like, just, just, you know, let it be. Circling back to the Beatles. And if you are going through hell, keep going. Tschüss and bye.